0: Please remain standing for our scripture reading back in Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. So when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before, said before the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day.
1: Um, Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. We are together today to continue in our Daniel series, chapter 6, it's been an exciting one. We're not rushing through it, rightly so. And we have several more installments, Lord, willing to go. But before we get into the text today, let's again freshly approach the throne where we see Jesus about ready to share his good news with us in gospel word. Let's pray. Father, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. We pray that he would feed us himself today, fill us with your Holy Spirit, with grace. May we love the Word of God, written, preached, and especially incarnated, Jesus Christ himself. And may we grow in our love for him through this text of Holy Scripture, which directs us to him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of our sermon today, The Sprung Trap, is something of a double entendre, or it has a twin meaning. On one hand, the pagan Medo-Persian conspirators set their trap in order to get their great nemesis, Daniel, killed off. They were jealous of him. They didn't like him. He was advancing beyond them. They were not happy about that. And they do indeed set their trap. That's part of the meaning. But the second part is this, that like the way that sometimes we set mouse traps, and while we're manipulating them, they can snap back on our fingers. I can see at least one victim of that. And I suspect there are more. So that happened to these conspirators later in this chapter they end up being devoured by the very lions that they had hoped would eat up their enemy Daniel. And, of course, it cost them their lives. Now, always keep this in mind, dear saints, as you live, as you think, as you contemplate your Christian lives, as you hear gospel sermons, that... In this fallen world, Satan and his human cohorts are continually seeking to entrap and ensnare you, the true children of the redeemed church, get you in their trap. And these snares they set are designed to make us have to share in and participate in and be responsible for their various sins blasphemies and perversions but for all true Christians who love God in Jesus Christ we will never submit to that we will never succumb to their ways their traps their schemes their plots their ploys we love Christ and we will not by God's grace allow that to happen to us no matter what it means where they take our lives our jobs put us in a subordinate class of citizen, whatever it is. In all that light then, let's make it our goal this morning, our gospel goal on this resurrection day, to trust God even in the worst circumstances, looking together at Daniel 6, 10 to 13, the sprung trap, the doctrine. The world condemns the true church for our faithfulness to Christ, C o n d e m n S, children, that is, they. they judge us as wicked. Now, this is an important doctrine to know, to believe, and to live in the light of. The world condemns us because we believe in Jesus Christ and love God in Him. Instead of it being happy that our gospel message glorifies God and actually enhances humanity and society and culture and the world, and all of creation, instead of approving of us, it damns us. Nonetheless, we are totally and completely unmoved by that, unperturbed by that, unhindered by that, in Christ Jesus. None of their threats, their efforts, unsettle us. Still, in our faith, let's face the fact that the world condemns the true church for our faithfulness to Christ. First, they will do all that they can to ensnare us in their sin. Obviously that truth was brought out in the introduction, but allow me to add these few important details. Number one, that coexistence with them, the world, is not an option at all. They don't offer it as an alternative, and God himself prohibits it says you must not be like they are Romans 12:1 and 2 is just one of numerous examples that we could bring forth secondly that dealing with the world we must realize that fair play is out of the question no objectivity no fairness No room for debate, no room for discussion, no room for alternate opinions. It is off the table altogether. See verse 13 is a classic example of this. And the sooner we Christians realize this about the world, the better off we are. We should be realists in the most God-glorifying sense of the word. Thirdly... Our prudence in Christ dictates that we be as prepared as possible, as wise as possible, and as gracious as possible. And some of that is within our power, if you will, and some of it isn't. But Daniel's a good example of one who did the right thing no matter what, and we're going to look at that. In the case of Daniel we behold the tranquil demeanor of a believer in Yahweh who was committed to a course of honoring his God, no matter what that meant, even if it meant losing his life, which he was willing to give for his Lord. The world condemns the true church for our faithfulness to Christ. They will do all that they can to ensnare us in their sin, but eventually they are snapped in their own trap. And this is where the Cosmic mouse trap comes back on not only the fingers, but the heart and soul and body of the plotters in this particular case. Now, this doesn't always happen right away. doesn't happen overnight, and in some cases might not even happen in this world. But it will happen, barring faith and repentance. Barring the Holy Spirit's coming upon a dead soul and regenerating it, giving it faith, love, and obedience toward Jesus, a new heart. In time and space, this will happen, that those souls will be snapped in their own traps. Now, this principle is well rehearsed for us throughout the entire Bible. And when we think of any of the sworn enemies of God, people that took it upon themselves to oppose God with everything they had, and I'll just use two examples... Cain the first murderer all the way to Judas the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus. Whenever you think of any example like that, what do you discover that they were falling victim and did fall victim to their own evil devices. Now, one text from scripture that summarily wraps this up for us very succinctly is Proverbs 1, 17 and 18 where these words are found, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Now, does this make it any more easy for us who become the bullseye targets of those who are filled with rage and fury against Christ and us, his people? Not really, it doesn't make it any easier, but it does assure us of the outcome even before we can see it. Because we know the end from the beginning. What is our comfort in this life? Our comfort is the person of Jesus Christ received by grace through faith, and we live in him, Lord's day to Lord's day, in the full power and glory of his Holy Spirit, in the communion of all the saints. Let's look at these interesting verses 10 to 13 of chapter 6 of Daniel and participate in the way of the devoted church in a difficult world. Now, the consistent theme of these four verses is the praying faithful believer Daniel. Constantly over and over, Daniel is praying or being accused of praying of being a faithful believer in Yahweh, in the Old Covenant church. So there's a very real sense in which today's scripture lesson is a good textbook illustration of how we, the faithful members of the church living in 2022, ought to live in this tumultuous and dangerous environment that we call the world, the fallen world, in which God, in his infinite grace, providence, sovereignty, and love, has placed us at this time and in this place. Therefore, let's get now a good grip on the way of the devoted church in a difficult world. First, we calmly and diligently seek our wonderful God. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you recognize we used that as the last verse of last Sunday's Scripture lesson. It was our key verse for that lesson. It's so great that we wanted to reincorporate it into today's lesson. Daniel hears about the law, immediately goes home and disobeys it but honors and obeys his truest and highest king, the one who is the ultimate lawgiver. And he did it for the glory of God. What are we to do when troubles come upon us or upon our loved ones? What are we to do? The same thing we should always be doing, namely, living before God in Christ Jesus in the full, holy, and free light of his grace, Practicing privileges reserved for the church children of God, like faith, confidence, diligence, persistence and prayer. We have to love the fact that nothing really changed for Daniel. This is interesting. He's, been in, he's an old man now, remember? I think we calculate he's in 70. Well, it's not so old, but you know what I'm saying. He's up there a little bit. And so he's, for years and decades, he's been practicing a faithful walk with God. In a foreign land, no priesthood, no sacrifices, no temple. He's the only prophet around. A a few friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The church was small. It was there. It was more like a synagogue than it was a temple. And yet he made the best of it. And you can bet that for decades, three times a day, he had been praying, getting down on his knees, praying to God. And it's a beautiful thing that he did that. Nothing really changed for him. Were things going well for Daniel? Was he being exalted in the various kingdoms, first Babylon and now Medo-Persia? Did the kings think well of him? Did Nebuchadnezzar like him? Oh, yes. Did Darius think he was the top guy in his administration? Sure he did. Was he esteemed in his culture? Yes. Was he gifted? Of course he was. Were things going well for him? If they were, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed to his God. Were things going badly for him? Like way back in, I think, chapter 2, when he's almost going to get killed with all the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And now here in chapter 6, where his life is in danger, a law has been signed that cannot be revoked, can't be changed, not even by the king. Was he going to worry about it? No. Three times a day, he prays. Have you and I faced in the past, are we facing today, and will we face in the future, difficult, trying, troubling, hard, challenging, trials, threats, and troubles? Yes, we have. Yes, we are. And yes, we will. No question. But there's, let me ask you this question, this good Calvinist. How has it always turned out for you? Every time, it's always turned out well for you. The proof is, you're here today. Now, it doesn't mean that struggle wasn't hard, that it wasn't excruciating, heart-rending, heart-wrenching, terrible, painful, awful, you'd never wish it on anyone that you love, but you've come through it. You're more conformed to the image of Jesus. You still struggle with your sins, but you're better than you used to be in the sense that you have grown up in Christ. You've become more assured that your sins are forgiven, that you don't have to earn and merit God's favor anymore. And out of that wonderful truth, you have an engendered love for God that flows forth in your willingness to submit to whatever hardships and trials come your way. Now, None of us like him, myself included. But if it makes us more like Jesus, nothing can be better than that, because that's the whole point of being on this fallen planet, is to become more like Christ. Recreation in him, the new man, the new person. And the way we have that happen is sometimes being threatened to be thrown into a lion's den or something else. After all, there's what's really the most important thing in life. Is it what's happening in Ukraine or Russia or China or the United States or... Somewhere else in the world, is, is that really the biggest? Not to diminish the gravity, not to say it's not important. It is important. It's very important. But is it the most important thing that's happening in the world today, on this Sunday, in March of 2022, is it? No, it's not. What's happening in the church of God, the people that make her up, what God is doing in their hearts and lives is more important and more significant. Daniel knew this. That's one of the reasons he wasn't willing to compromise. He wasn't willing to give in a little bit for a societal norm when a greater glorious covenant truth was more significant to him. So how do we contribute to the spread of the gospel and the extension of the church? We do so through our faithful Sunday worship first, and from there into the world we live as gospel ministers, wherever God has placed us, school, work, home, neighborhood, wherever it is. Work, retirement, doesn't matter. And we pray ardently. We approach God throughout the week, that one means of grace that's reserved for us anytime. time. Granted, preaching, sacrament, those are Sabbath day events for the collected body, but we can pray as we should, like Daniel did, any time. The way of the devoted church, difficult world. Calmly, diligently seek our wonderful God. Verses 11 and 12, we submit ourselves to whatever our sovereign Lord decrees. Children, decrees means what he decides is going to happen, essentially. Verses 11 and 12, then these men, that is these conspirators, came by agreement. Notice how often they come by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked... (laughs) They, they snapped the king in his own trap. He's like, yeah, you're right. We got the law of the Medes of Persians and can't be revoked. You're right, you're right. And I was like, oh, no. He realizes, by the way, why aren't these guys doing their jobs? You ever think about that? Why aren't they administering the business of the great Medo-Persian Empire rather than meeting together by agreement and conspiring and going and spying on Daniel in his house, and then going like a cabal of of criminals over to Darius's palace and ratting on Daniel. Don't they have anything better to do? Well, there's the answer is, in their minds, they didn't have anything better to do. And this is something you have to recognize about the world, too. And, And when I tell you the truth about the world you live in and realistic gospel facts... I'm not making you cynical. I'm not making you not love the people you deal with. I want you to understand what you're up against, what you're facing. The absolute, clear, unvarnished truth. It's not a very sanitary world out there, and it certainly isn't fair. But we we don't get shaken by that. Now, did Daniel really have any control over what's happening here in verses 11 and 12? No, not so long as he was going to remain steadfast in his faith, in the expression of it the way he liked to do it, i.e., pray three times on his knees toward Jerusalem, windows open, upper chamber. Now, somebody might have said, and might even say today, well, Daniel, just be more in private in your prayers. Well, first of all, it's his house, right? So what are these guys doing, coming and breaking and entering and spying on him and seeing him praying? Second of all, there was actually an injunction taken from 1 Kings 8.48, where we have that longest prayer in the Bible. It's Solomon's prayer of dedication of the old temple after David had died in the old temple, the first big, great temple was being built. And there was a clause in the prayer that said that if the Jews got deported because of their sin and rebellion against God, and God drove them out of the promised land into some foreign land, if that ever happened, they were supposed to pray toward Jerusalem, the old covenant age capital, of that time. And that's what that's what Daniel's doing here. So it wasn't just an arbitrary act. It's not like, oh yeah, I can just go into my more inner closet that faces towards some other place and pray. No. He had a reason for this. And it was an important one. It had symbolic significance to him. Now, that isn't true today, because the church is everywhere. Peoria County is just as holy as Jerusalem is, if not more, depending on the faithfulness of the churches in those places. The whole world belongs to God. You know, we go, our friends go over to Israel, enjoy it, and it'd be great. Wouldn't mind doing it someday. You see all the wonderful sights, but in reality, it's no more special than here. But, in that time, it was important that he do it, and he did. So Daniel wasn't going to change his good ways for anybody. Besides, he didn't know that these nefarious people would be coming and showing up at his house and observing him praying anyway. He was just going to do it. He wasn't. Trying to make a show, obviously. We're not to do that in our private prayers. We know that. And he wasn't doing that either. At base, what happened to Daniel was outside of his purview or responsibility. And a lot of the things that are going to happen to you or to me are also just outside of our purview or control or responsibility. God called on him to be faithful, and he was. The same God calls upon you and me to be faithful and by grace through faith in Jesus Christ we can be and will be so long as we remain covenantally faithful in the church like you are here today. The way of the devoted church, difficult world. Seek our wonderful God, submit to whatever he decrees. And finally, we endure whatever injustices that are done to us, always trusting in Christ, verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Oh, boy. Tattletales. I've chosen this as our key verse for today's lesson. You know, injustices are done in the world today. They do happen, and they aren't all done to God's people, but a lot of them are. And this is certainly an example of them. Many religious people these days prefer common criminals over ordinary law-abiding citizens and then ascribe the punishment meted out to criminals as injustice. So that's the point, is that if you fit a category and you suffer a penalty, that's Injustice, but the world's and Satan's definitions of justice and injustice are vastly different than God's and what you read about in the Holy Book. Huge difference. Daniel was really a victim of injustice. He is a timeless exemplar of a recipient of real injustice. In this one verse, the conspiring Medo-Persian bureaucrats do at least the following injustices to our hero Daniel, and here they are, and there are probably more. You can probably find more. Here's the first one. I mentioned it earlier, but they violate his home and privacy, speaking British, or privacy, speaking American. So they invade his environs. Don't even let him have his own place. Two, they try to smear Daniel by implying that his being a, quote, exile from Judah, unquote, placed him in at least a suspicious category. So this is a derogatory term in their minds. You know, a lot of terms that we take today that are normal and fine and we take positively were originally very derogatory. Uh, the word Christian in the in the New Testament was originally derogatory, and then the Church in Antioch, Syria, made it a a noble term, and now we see it that way. But they're trying to say, you know, he's one of those foreigners. You can't trust him. He's an exile from Judah. We're the real, you know, native people, if you will. So they're trying to put him in a suspicious light. Of course. Darius isn't going to buy that. And then thirdly, they essentially slander Daniel by telling the king, Darius, that he, Daniel, did not pay, quote, attention, unquote, to him, Darius. This guy doesn't pay any attention to you, Darius. He ignores you. He doesn't obey your laws. Now, strictly speaking, okay, he's not going to obey this one law. But in actual fact... Daniel was the best citizen in that country, and he did honor King Darius, and Darius knew that. And again, he should have been smelling a rat all along when these scoundrels show up at his house several times, and Daniel's not among them. Where's the big guy? Where's the important guy? Where's the guy who actually gets something done in the office? Where's the guy who actually does something in the government? rather than running around trying to put other people down and climb up over them. Where's the the actual servant, the good one, the exemplary one? Where is he? He should have been looking for him. Daniel did honor him, but he was going to honor his ultimate sovereign, the now enthroned God-man, Jesus Christ, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then one more thing in verse 13. These men these schemers impugn Daniel's God-given goodness by actually maligning the fact that the Hebrew prophet prayed to God, quote, three times a day. It's almost like, not only does he disobey you a little bit, Darius, but this guy is really devout. He prays three times. By the way, three times. So this means, think about it. I just thought about that now. They have to come spy on him three times in a day. These guys get anything done in their bureaucracy? I don't think so. They must have kept some uh, vigilance on him, some somebody to be watching him somehow. Anyway, what are we to do about injustices that happen to us? Then they will. At work, at school... When you just won't and can't enter into gross sins, immoralities, you just can't do it. It's impossible. It's against your nature. You'd rather die. And then you have to suffer the, the consequences for it. What are we to do? Three things. Trust our Christ. Love our God. Live faithfully as his church. Let's do a little more application this morning. And re- realize and celebrate why being a real Christian is such an exciting thing. Now this excitement is not all positive, obviously, but it is thrilling. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the most interesting people in the world are those that love God. And I don't just mean Christians, and I don't mean just Anybody. Religious people. I mean people that really love God. They are the most interesting people in the world. And the most amazing things happen to them. Not all good, but a lot very good. Now, by real Christian, what I mean is a wholehearted one. And I want you all to be encouraged, because as you are in Christ, as you're growing in your faith, as you know your sins are forgiven and you're loving God, You're being more conformed to the image of Christ, and you are, whether you realize it or not, becoming more wholehearted in your Christian faith. You really are. And that's always first exemplified and demonstrated here, but then throughout your lives. Never be discouraged. You might say, oh, I'm just not that wholehearted. No, you really are. As long as you understand who you are, hear this gospel, and incorporate it into your lives. So let us now more clearly behold just why being a real Christian is such an exciting thing. First, because we face extraordinary dramas in this world. Is that not true, dears? You know, I'm nearing um, retirement, a couple of years and a half or a little more. And it's a hard thing to, to. But if I was to write a book, I could write a book, uh, just a book of exploits and anecdotes. And it would be exciting. And you could too. I mean, life in Christ is... It's exciting. There's no question about it. Now, some of these are pleasant and delightful, which elicit great praise from us, like our sins are forgiven in Jesus' blood. We don't bear any penalty, any punishment, any hell, any damnation from... God, Satan, the world, or anybody, even our own conscience. And Christ is risen from the dead. The gospel is true. This message is a life-giving message. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But it can also be very scary and foreboding, as in the constant stress that we have to live in in this world. But there's, remember this, it's not really different than it's always been. All the saints in every age have had to endure it. Some some been worse times than others, but where has it always come out in the end? With the church on top. Cleansed. Purged. Refreshed. Pruned. It's always ended well for us. Ever since the beginning of the creation that God made, even after the fall, every single time in human history, the church has come out on top. That ought to be an encouragement to you and to me. Does this eliminate or alleviate the fact that we have to go through hard, difficult, bad, terrible, excruciating, painful times? No, it doesn't. But it reminds us of the principle of Romans 8.28, which we used as our call to worship today. God causes all things to work together for good. All things for those who love him, those called according to his purpose. That's the redeemed church, elect unto glory. Why being a real Christian is such an exciting thing, because we face extraordinary dramas in this world knowing that we will always come out on top in Christ alone. We alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to emphasize the in Christ alone part of the equation. It's in Christ alone that we have all our victory. It's in Christ alone that we please God at all. It's in Christ alone that all of our sins are forgiven. It is in Christ alone that we have all our hope. It's in Christ alone that we rise to the fullest expression of what it means to be a human being created in the image of God in this world. It's also in Christ alone that we have a gracious, loving, merciful, powerful, effective message to share with the dead and lost world around us, too which also needs to hear the same good news that we have received. Anyone who wants to live may, and will. Anyone who wants to live, really live, not just exist, not just get along, not just do the world's thing of success, but really live, may. But it will be in Christ alone. So how do we find that glorious fact reinvigorated in us even today by our faith in Jesus, his blood, righteousness, his glorious resurrection from the dead, his assembling us as his church on this day to receive from him encouragement. There's don't ever be discouraged. I know you will be from time to time, but ultimately don't. You are more than conquerors through Christ who loved you. That's Romans 8. Beloved, the sprung trap, you know, in a certain sense, ever since the fall, the sprung trap has been set for all of us sinners. It's waiting for us to fall into it. But in Christ alone, those whom he has elected, predestined, and in time and space regenerated, sanctified, glorified, God has tripped the snare. And it's already spent. In fact, you could say our beloved Savior took it all for us. But for God's enemies, who will not repent, who will insist on their hatred for him, they are caught up in their own sprung trap, as we'll see later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you, those called according to your purpose. Thank you that you give us so much grace in Jesus, that we abound in this hope. May this church be a model church of grace and love, with the Spirit coursing through us to the glory and praise of your holy name, through Jesus Christ alone. Amen.